Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to do a mini water cooler episode and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I am a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film senior writer Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Brad, you've been gone for a little while. Uh, let's jump right into what we've been doing. What have you been doing? Where were you? Yeah, so uh, I went to California for a wedding. Uh, the first time that I've gone like uh, on a plane since before the pandemic. I actually uh, I took a vacation in February 2020, just before the pandemic really hit the United States, and that was the last time I flew anywhere. And so this was the um, you know a big deal. And uh, flying on a plane with a mask sucks a lot. I was gonna say, did it feel weird, or what was that experience like? <laughs> I just don't I don't I don't like having the mask on for a long time. I mean, I don't think anybody likes wearing them. They're they're uncomfortable and everything. It just it just is flying is uncomfortable enough without making it even worse, you know? And so um it's but they're very everyone was very good about keeping their mask on. No one was uh, arguing about it or anything like that, which was good. Um and it's it did feel safe for the most part. And then also even uh, in Los Angeles and California, everyone is really good about wearing their masks inside, and the people who are like at places are very vigilant about making sure everyone is wearing their masks, which was great to see. And so, yeah, it was the overall. Uh, it felt felt safe. Um, was a lot of fun to get back to California. I hadn't been since 
gosh, I think 2019, maybe 2018. um, I think it was whenever I went to uh, Ghostbusters Fan Fest in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Correctly, because I didn't go to Comic-Con that year, I believe. So, yeah, um, it was uh, the wedding was great. Uh, It's one of my my good friends. um, And uh, one of the interesting things about this is um, these two, two people who are getting married, my, one of my best friends from my childhood, um, they both work in the industry. And so, uh, the speeches that, um, that were given were particularly good because, um, the, uh, the bride in the wedding is, uh, Ashley Wigfield, who has, uh, done stuff for 30 Rock. And she also wrote on the new Gossip Girl. Uh, and so she's, um, has been writing in TV for a while. She also worked on uh, that Amazon series Jean-Claude Van Johnson with Jean-Claude Van Damme and a variety of things. And her sister is Tracy Wakefield, who worked on The Mindy Project and Great News. And so she was the maid of honor. And so the speech was about as good as any speech you can imagine because <laughs> it's written by a professional comedy writer. Um, and then weirdly enough, another strange, um, like just odd connection that I can't believe it, I, I have is uh, the... Um, the person who gave the uh, best man speech is Miles Taylor, who you might have read about in the news as the person who wrote Anonymous, the book that completely uh, called out everything that was happening in the White House under the Donald Trump administration. Um, and that's something that has been definitely uh, a, a topic among uh, the friends and family that we know. And it's just a very weird thing to be associated with because this is somebody that I went to high school with and know very well and it's just been a very very interesting complicated thing (laughs) (laughs) um so so yeah but the the wedding all around was amazing it happened in this uh ranch that's up in the mountains in a place called solvang california uh just a great uh ceremony nice to hang out with friends that i hadn't seen in a long time uh and then we also my girlfriend and i got to spend some time uh in los angeles and uh that included uh making a custom funko pop um of ourselves at the funko hollywood store that opened uh, i think it was last year was when it actually opened um and uh so that was a, a very fun experience it's not exactly what it would be um if it w- weren't covid time still because they have the area set up where it looks like when things are normal again you'll be able to build the Funko Pop yourself. But because they don't want everybody getting their grubby little hands all over the parts <laughs> and potentially spreading a lot more germs, um, they have like a, these displays set up where all the individual parts that you could potentially use are in a display case and like you fill out on a card uh, you know, which number you want, and then they build it for you and they put it in a box that has your name on it and everything. And so that was really cool. Um, I, uh, If you check my, my Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton, you can see the picture I posted of uh, the Funko Pops that my girlfriend and I made. And we were very happy with how they turned out. They they have um, just enough options where you can easily make it look like you. We wish they had a little bit uh, more variation on the body types because we would have liked to have had one that was maybe a little bit uh, huskier like we are. Um, I, I think it would have been funnier to have you know, a Funko Pop that fits my body type a little bit more. But mm-hmm. uh, as far as the choices available for like the things that I you wear and like uh, the accessories you can put in your hands, it was, uh, I made for a really fun experience. So the question then, Brad, is do you take it out of the box and display it in your home that way? Or do you leave it in the box and just like put it on a shelf or what? That's what I've been thinking. I think that it's, I don't know. I think that in this case, like it looks cool to have in the box because like my name's on the box and everything. Because uh, normally most 
pretty much all the Funko Pops that I have, and I have a pretty good amount, I, I do open them because that's just who I am. Like, I don't need to keep them in the box. I like seeing them out uh, of the packaging and everything. Um, but this one, I don't know. It's like it's it, it's it's a cool thing because it's me in a Funko Pop box, and it makes it feel like it's a little bit more uh, official, I guess. So, mm-hmm. oh, oh, and you can have a um, – they have uh, little pets that you can have too. And so uh, I have like a little Funko Pop of my cat. <laughs> that is, that's that awesome the, that's in the box with me so yeah i'm not i'm not sure um i i have still yet to to figure that out but uh the experience was very cool we also um we drove around uh i met a friend up with, uh, in pasadena and i realized that there were a few um houses up there like famous houses from movies that i had never gone out of my way to see so we drove around uh and saw a couple of those like the father of the bride house uh the michael myers house and uh, Doc Brown's house from. I was gonna say, yeah, there's some Back to the Future stuff up in that area that I I visited when I was living over there. So um. there was a. It was weird though when we got to the house, which is called the Gamble House. There was some kind of outdoor um, event that was going on because there were people sitting in chairs and they had like these light up headphones on. Uh, but we had, we're getting there like right at the end of it. So we didn't really see what was going on, but they were doing something on the steps of the house with, and then, uh, so I don't really know if it was like some kind of listening party or like an outdoor, uh, play or something like that. Huh. So yeah, it was, it was really weird. <laughs> yeah. It's a really cool place though. If you're in the LA area or visiting or, or whatever, I would definitely recommend making the trek over there. Cause it's, it's not too far from like the I guess the the center of the hustle and bustle of LA, but it, it feels like a whole nother world. And it's just really cool to see that house, which looks almost identical to the, to how it looked in, you know, in, in the mid eighties or whatever. Yeah. Un- unlike the area where the Michael Myers house is, which is weird. Uh, the, where it's at looks nothing uh, anymore. Like it did back <laughs> in the, the late 1970s. Cause like it's, it's on a, um, like a three way corner and everything around it is like, developed areas with like restaurants and and bars and shops and stuff like that and so it's it's so strange to see the house in the location that it is yeah um Uh, so you also started a podcast recently i did i figured there weren't enough podcasts out there and i really (laughs) really wanted to to sweeten the pool out there so people had something to listen to um at for those who probably uh, know by following the website, I am a huge Saturday Night Live fan. Uh, I review every new episode on Slash Realm, although I didn't review this past weekend's episode because I just didn't have the time to because of the, the wedding we just talked about. Um, however, I, I love Saturday Night Live so much, and I have a couple of, of my good friends who are just as diehard about Saturday Night Live as I am, and we always talk about uh, the sketches, uh, which ones we loved, which ones we hated after, after new episodes, always have text chains conversations in person and i just thought um it would be great to you know do this as a podcast you know because i like reviewing it i like talking about it and uh, I, I think a lot of people um don't necessarily think about snl beyond just thinking oh that was a funny sketch or anything like that but there's a lot of interesting things to talk about when it comes to the the show because of how unique its production is being made over just a single week that that means uh written and the sets and the costumes are all created just for that week and all the sketches that they do and for all the people that say you know saturday night live isn't funny anymore uh it's just because people remember all the best sketches from the seasons that they watched when they were growing up but Saturday Night Live has always been a mixed bag of something that works and what and doesn't. And that's what makes it so fascinating to watch. And so we, uh, I wanted to do a podcast that really talked about that uh, and dedicated time to each new episode. And so we, we started um, not at the very beginning of the season, but just because I hadn't thought of it at that point. We started with the Rami Malek episode. So we're a couple, uh, a couple episodes in now. Uh, we'll be recording 
the the Kieran Culkin episode uh, should be online probably by um, after you hear this at some point. And it's it's just been a lot of fun. My my two friends are uh, very knowledgeable on the the series, and it's just nice to sit down and talk to them about it and have conversations with people who are also as passionate about the show as I am. So uh, it's called the Ten to One Podcast, which is uh, inspired by the Ten to One sketch which is named because it happens at 10 minutes till 1 a.m. And that slot is typically reserved for a sketch that is a little bit uh, odd or off the wall and not something mainstream that you would see uh, after the monologue or during uh, the more prime hours of the sketch series. It's towards the end because that's usually when people may start to tune out and it's where they like to try experimental sketches and their weirdest ideas. And so uh, that's why the podcast is what it's called. It's available on iTunes and Spotify and other podcasting platforms. So feel free to check it out. Well, it's we've noticed that there's a little bit of trouble searching it so far. I don't know if it's because it's still too young or what have you, but we'll link to it in the show notes for sure. Awesome. Cool. Well, congrats on the launch, man. That's always exciting, starting a new uh, a new venture like that. So hopefully you guys will, will have fun with it. Um, all right. So what have we been watching? I'll go first. Real, I only have two things that I wanted to talk about. Uh, the first of which is called The Harder They Fall. Have you heard of this, Brad? This uh, new Western that's on Netflix? Indeed, I have. Okay. Have you have you seen it by any chance? I know I you've been busy. but Yeah, I haven't had time to watch it yet, but I've heard good things. Okay. So it just came out, I think, uh, last week. And holy crap, I love this movie so much, Brad. It's like, I think it's my favorite movie of 2021 so far. Um, it is, I, I love Western, so I'm a sucker for this stuff anyway, but the cast, it's like an all black cast and it is, uh, I think, written and directed by this guy named James Samuel, uh, James Samuel, who is a musician. He worked with um, Jay-Z on the, the Great Gatsby soundtrack a few years ago. And uh, this is his director, his feature directorial debut. He actually made a 50 minute short film that is sort of like a spiritual prequel to this uh, movie um, that played at South by Southwest a few years ago. Uh, and I we wrote about that on SlashFilm.com. I had never heard of it before, but I saw that SlashFilm article and was like, oh, cool. So I, I bookmarked that. I've not watched the, the uh, spiritual prequel short film yet, but the harder the harder they fall is tremendous. It's like the it's it's so um, lush. The the colors, the cinematography in this thing is gorgeous. The the uh, production design, the costuming, like all of that stuff is just like Oscar worthy across the board, or at least nomination worthy in my view. Um, the I think my favorite. I mean, the performances are great too because you've got like Jonathan Majors and as the the protagonist, you've got Idris Elba as the antagonist, uh, Zassi Bates. You've got Regina King, Delroy Lindo, Lakeith Stanfield. I mean, like the cast is just unreal. Um, but I, I think my favorite thing about this uh, this whole movie is the script. It's so like um, just expertly done. Like there's there's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of uh, just like really classic uh, nods to. Um, uh, you know, other Westerns and and even like there's some Tarantino nods in there. It's a movie that feels very um, postmodern in the sense that it, it like uh, sort of tips its hat to a lot of the movies that have come before. There's a moment in particular where there's a big uh, shootout in, in uh, like the, essentially the town square. And there's a shot that is sort of shot through the uh, the little like heat coming up through the flames where you know how the, the air kind of looks like a mirage like it's uh, uh, distorted a little bit and there's a church in the background and it looks so much like that shot at the very very end of Tombstone where the main characters are like 
as the credits are playing, the main characters come walking through the town. And it's, it's very clearly like an homage to that. And there's a lot of stuff in this movie like that, where uh, it very clearly like tells its own story, does its own thing entirely. But there are some stylistic flourishes that feel like, um, you know, shouting out the, uh, the movies that have sort of paved the way and come before. So um, I love the script. I think it's, it's so smart, so well done. And the, it's just like, <laughs> I can't say enough good things about it. So that's called The Harder They Fall. Um, and, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I saw another movie called Finch. And this is the Tom Hanks movie that is on Apple TV+. And the script for Finch, I think, is, is pretty bad. Um, that, that's really unfortunate because it has a cool concept behind it. So this movie, I think, originally was called Bios, but it got its name changed to Finch, which is the uh, lead character that Tom Hanks plays. And he is essentially the last man on Earth. Um, I think there are some other humans sort of like around the edges of the frame, but you never really see them too much uh, in, in the movie itself. But uh, Hanks is like the last basically the last guy on earth in this sort of post-apocalyptic scenario where a solar flare ripped through the ozone layer so um there are all sorts of extreme weather events happening and he lives in st louis with his dog who's called goodyear and he has built a robot to uh try to teach this robot to protect and look look after this dog when he dies because he he is sick. You find out very early in the movie that he is not long for this world. So um, it's basically a road trip movie. They realize that they're going to have to leave their home in St. Louis and make a trek across the country. So it's Tom Hanks, a robot and a dog uh, in an RV just driving across the country. And that's basically the movie. And th- there's a lot of um, jokes in this that I just don't think work at all. Um, Caleb Landry Jones did the motion capture performance and the voice of the robot. And, you know, it's a fine performance. It's just the, what he has to do. There's just not really anything there. This is the kind of movie that I just found myself being so disappointed because the, the potential is so sky high. I mean, Hanks is always good. Um, and like Miguel Sapochnik, who directed several really, really big Uh, Game of Thrones episodes directed this movie. So there's a lot of talent involved with this project, but it just doesn't ever come together in a way that I found super satisfying. The, the dog performance is like really great. I mean, it's a super cute movie dog. So if you're looking for that and that alone, I would say watch Finch. Uh, If you're a Hanks completist, obviously you'll want to check this out too, but you know, Hanks's performance, it feels kind of in some ways like a reaction to him being like, uh, okay, you all think that I'm the nicest guy in the world, huh? Well, I'll show you. Uh, and he's not like a, a villain or anything in this movie, but he's just sort of a prickly douchebag, like just kind of a, a jerk who <laughs> does not treat the rest of the characters, with the exception of the dog, uh, very well in, in the movie. So um, he's like constantly yelling at this robot that he's created and just being really short and, and snippy with it. Um, so it, it's not exactly like a fun watch. And uh I don't know, like some of the design stuff in it is good. Some of the cinematography is good. Some some of the, um, you know, the the, uh, iconographic images or whatever that are captured, like it it all, there's, the pieces were there for this to be a great movie. And I just don't think Finch uh, lived up to its potential. So um, if you want to check it out, that's streaming on Apple TV Plus right now. But I would say everybody listening to this, please go watch The Harder They Fall, which is on Netflix, because that's a, a much, much better movie, even though they're trying to do wildly different things, obviously. But um, Brett, what have you been watching? 
Uh, I finally finished Friends. My my first ever watching of the entire series. It is it is complete. So what's the what's the final uh, verdict on it? Mostly fun. A very enjoyable show. Uh, the the cast is you know what keeps kept the show going strong. They just had such great chemistry um, between all of them. You know, uh, you know Chandler uh, Chandler Chandler and uh, Phoebe and Joey were definitely my favorite throughout the entire series. Um, I did. I, I definitely felt like the show you know started to lose its luster in the last I would say three seasons especially when they get into, you know, Joey and Rachel starting to hook up and just the premises started, you know, becoming much more unbelievable and silly and much more like the kind of sitcoms that I, I hated. Um, the, the performances kept it from being totally uh, insufferable, but there were a lot of eye rolling moments. Um, I'm glad that Paul Rudd was such a big part of the final season because he, it was a, a great guest star to have consistently showing up. And I did go and, uh, watch the, the story that he told oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, on late night with Conan O'Brien before the, the finale had come out when it had already been shot. It's funny. I actually didn't, uh, remember, um, and I did when I started watching it that, that was also when the Mac and me thing first started. <laughs> and so, and so that was, that was great to, to be, be reminded of, but um, I just, I don't think I ever paid attention to like the, the, the lead up to it or anything like that, because I had no frame of reference uh, for, you know, friends or at that time. But mm-hmm. yeah, so funny to hear about what he was doing uh, during the finale when everyone was crying and just, you know, saying their goodbyes and everything. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll link to that story in the, the show notes. I'll link to that video so people can watch that for themselves if, if they have also never seen it. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I did my first double feature for the first time in a long time. Um, I went to theaters to see the French dispatch and no time to die, which was a a fun European uh, double feature, which gave me a double dose of both, uh, Leah Sido and Jeffrey Wright. Oh yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, the French dispatch I loved. Um, I, I love Wes Anderson in general and, uh, this is definitely the, one of the most Wes Anderson movies there have ever been. Uh, has his signature style. It mixes stop motion animation with 2D animation. Uh, his tableau cinematography. And I think it's probably the most richly detailed movies he's done yet. There's just so many th- things in the background that make me want to go back and watch it once it comes out uh, on home video just to soak everything in. It's just a a gorgeous movie. I, I love the the anthology element of it as it basically goes through an issue of the French Dispatch like in visual form uh, with these bookends of following the actual offices um, of the, the paper itself, uh, how it comes together. And the cast is sprawling and huge. And most of them have uh, smaller parts because it's an anthology uh, kind of movie with these three different main stories and then these little asides with, with other characters. Um, but it's just so, uh, of course, expectedly uh, quirky, but it's it's very funny. Um, it's also touching in a lot of parts. It's uh, a gorgeous movie all around, and just, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. It's, it's fantastic. Have you seen it yet? I have not. I'm really looking forward to it. I think I just got a press release this morning saying that it, it's coming out like... Uh on digital on December 14th and yeah. Blu-ray and DVD on December 28th. So that's, that's pretty soon. Um, and for people who maybe don't feel comfortable going back to theaters yet, that's good news that they don't have to wait that long. So um, I don't think it's playing in theaters around me. Uh, it should, it, it should be because it's playing in theaters around me. And if it's, and I think that you're in a much more 
uh, populated area to get those kinds of movies. Yeah, maybe it's there's a there's a theater that's right near my house that it, that only has twelve screens. So I, I checked to see if like uh, if Spencer was playing there, and it's not, but it's playing at the theater that's like thirty minutes away from my house. So maybe it's just one of those that that sort of uh, slipped through the cracks or whatever. But yeah, because I think Spencer is uh, in more limited release right now because because okay. that's not playing near me yet, but it was playing in in LA already. Gotcha. Okay, so speaking of being able to watch things uh, at home soon. Uh, no Time to Die is actually streaming or available to, for rent uh, on, on different platforms and stuff right now. And I have not seen No Time to Die yet, but I'm really excited to watch it. Hopefully I'll be able to ch- get a chance to, to watch that either tonight or sometime this week. But what did you think about it? You saw it in theaters. I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, I do think that it is a, a tad long. They probably could have cut a good 20 minutes out of the movie and tightened it up a little bit and still done exactly what they wanted to do. There are um, a couple surprising turns that I did not see coming that I won't spoil here. Um, but suffice it to say that uh, it's yeah, it's it's a big send off for for Daniel Craig as 007. There's lots of uh, fun homages and references to you know previous James Bond movies as there have been with the other Daniel Craig movies. Uh, astounding action, um, maybe a little too light on the action though, because they do try to really lean into the more dramatic and emotional elements of uh, James Bond story, which, you know, it works for this iteration of James Bond because they've made the Daniel Craig era much more grounded, you know? Um, and I, I, I have enjoyed that for the most part because, you know, I think that like can't be James Bond can be a lot of fun, but this was, you know, a new approach that really tried to take James Bond a little bit more seriously, even mm-hmm. though it still had, you know, some cheeky winks and nods here and there. Um, but I do wish that they maybe had uh, had a better villain because uh, the, the the character that they have, Rami Malek play, it's just, he's just kind of there and whatever. And he makes a lot of stupid decisions as a character. And I just, I I, I don't know. It, that that was the messiest part to me was the, the, the plot itself that um, comes from what the villain is trying to, accomplish and i feel like it's also held back because it has to link to what happened in specter which was yeah also such a mess um you know i wish they would have especially because there's there's a big time jump in this movie too and like if you're gonna do that then like why hold yourself you know to so many details from specter when you could easily have like made this something that veers away from it so I, yeah man it's tough with bond villains because like they have to be um uh, involved with some sort of plan for world domination on global stakes, right? Because mm-hmm. that's like part of the appeal of Bond movies is watching that character travel to all these different countries within the same movie and like, you know, engage in different action scenes in, in a bunch of different locations. But it's like you, you know, a lot of times if you have a villain with smaller um, uh, motivations or, or smaller um uh, I don't know, like a smaller plan that doesn't necessarily, like as soon as you blow it up to that size and scale in terms of what the the villainous event is, it gets more and more ridiculous. And you yeah. almost wish that there's a way to have your cake and eat it too by having a villain, you know, on a much more smaller scale. But then, you know, part of it, you sort of lose the inherent James Bondiness of the whole thing in a way. So uh, it's a tough line for them to walk. And I, I feel like that's one of those things that like, even in rebooting the character or whatever they're going to do next, they're, they're still going to have to contend with that as like a villain problem. Um, so I wonder if they'll be able to come up with any sort of creative solutions for that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, No Time to Die, fine. Um, I, I was I was glad to see it in theaters just because uh, that's the kind of movie that just you know you want to see in theaters. So yeah. Uh, and speaking of another movie that you may or may not want to see in theaters, based on all the hullabaloo that's been surrounding it, uh, but I saw Eternals. And uh, I actually caught a, a press screening before it, it premiered. I just haven't been on the podcast to talk about it since I saw it. And uh, I actually enjoyed this movie for the most part. Um, I think that it is uh, definitely a bit of a, a mess, but it has its grand ambitions. And the large scope makes it uh, bite off a little more than it can chew. But I like that it takes some big chances and does try to do something that is a, l- a little bit more outside of what you'd expect from Marvel Um, for a movie that is about uh, these cosmic entities who have been around earth for thousands of years. It has the most humanity of any Marvel movie. Hmm. Uh, The only problem is, is that it has too many characters that it tries to make you care about. And um, the ones that you do end up caring about the most, I don't think are the main characters, but they are the supporting characters. Um, And I think that that's uh, it's beautifully shot it has a hard time balancing uh, the epic scale of the story and the emotion that Chloe Zhao brings to Marvel with the blockbuster side and also some of the comedic elements. The The comedy doesn't seem to land very well. Um, even some of the stuff, you know, with uh, Kumail doesn't work quite as well as it should just because it feels a little bit out of place with the tone of the rest of the movie. But uh, even besides that, Kumail Nanjiani is still... Uh, one of the the best parts of the movie, as is Barry Keoghan. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it, I, I would much rather see a Marvel movie like this swing for the fences and be a little bit disappointing uh, rather than get something that tries to play it safe and, you know, delivers exactly what we expect from the Marvel formula. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, it's uh, I think that there's been a lot of uh, venom being thrown at this movie unnecessarily. I think people are making a lot of assumptions about it uh, because it's coming from a director like Chloe Zhao and there's just people being unnecessarily nasty to it and relying way too much on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, as a, an aggregator of critic scores and people just need to see it for themselves and just, you know, accept the movie for, for what it is rather than what they think it should be. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think Eternals is, is worth seeing. I, I, I enjoyed it for the most part, even though I didn't love it. And I think that it has, uh, some some glaring flaws, but uh, still still worth seeing. You got it's, it's, to see it for yourself, I think. Cool. Yeah, I look forward to checking that one out. Uh, what else have you been watching? Uh, I watched Police Story for the first time ever. Uh, I had been wanting to kind of dig into some of Jackie Chan's older movies. When I was younger, I started getting into Jackie Chan like a lot of people did because of Rush Hour. And so I, I, I've seen stuff like um, Rumble in the Bronx and uh, Jackie Chan's First Strike. And but I haven't seen a lot of his older stuff. And I've uh, obviously Police Story being in the Criterion collection and being one of his most revered movies. It was on HBO Max and I decided to finally watch it. And uh, man, I just I, I I don't know, understand why uh, American action movies don't follow in the footsteps of people like Jackie Chan um, or like uh, Iku Uwais and like what they're doing with the raid and martial arts and things like that, because it makes the action so much more satisfying than doing something that's assisted by, you know, uh, digital effects and, you know, big, big blockbuster um, special effects wizardry, just just all that stuff. Like these, this, these incredible stunt work and hand-to-hand combat and 
this it's just so impressive and it's wild to see and um i do think that it's police story is a little bit difficult to watch at times because it feels a little bit dated has very uh you know cheesy hong kong elements of you know of crime movies and uh, the the damsel in distress, as it were, is one of those things where the the, the woman is constantly going oh, oh you know, <laughs> over dramatic screaming and reacting yeah. and everything. Um, but the action is is fantastic, and it, it has you know that the uh, the elements that you expect of the you know hard boiled crime uh, movies from from the eighties. And so uh, it's, it was very enjoyable to watch. I'm, I want to uh, watch the sequel and uh, dig into more Jackie Chan movies uh, just to, to see all this incredible work that he's been doing in stunts over the years. Cause it's just, it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Yeah. I'm really curious to know what you think about the sequel when you watch that. Cause I, I remember being like not quite as impressed with the story part of it, but like maybe more impressed with the action in the sequel. I don't, man, it, it's, it's a tough, uh, tough thing to like put those two movies up next to each other and pick which one is the best because they're both so, like you said, there's this, they're just so different from anything that we're seeing now that like, they're both wildly impressive, you know, in comparison. So yeah. I, I love too that there's one stunt in particular in police story that they were like, okay, this is a big deal that like we did this that they play it like three or four times (laughs) in a row like look at how great this is yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome uh and then um i watched this a little while back and i i'm very late to the game on this but i finally i I saw it in my queue and i was like you know what yeah let's sit down and watch this i watched american vandal yes finally yes and oh man this series is so good i i was not expecting it to be as good as as people said but man this it's a send up of the true crime uh, documentary genre in the best way possible. Like the meticulous attention to detail as to how the story unfolds, uh, the manner in which that they they tell it, and the talking heads, and just the uh, turning over all these stones and the, the constant twists and turns, and just it's an expertly made parody that is so well done that it doesn't even feel like a parody. Like if you didn't know any of the people in this series. And for that reason, that's why most of the cast is like pretty much unknowns. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're like, they've been character actors in in movies here and there, Uh, but it makes it feel uh, incredibly real. And then so much comedy just comes from how serious it's played when it is, you know, a documentary being made by students about a bunch of dicks being spray painted on cars and just the, (laughs) the process of them, like going through trying to figure out who did it. Uh, and all the like the the clues that they find and uncovering different details and the twists and turns, it is just so so damn good. I just I could not believe how impressive this this series was, and I, I loved every single minute of it. So how far did you get into it? Did you what did you watch both seasons? I haven't watched the second season yet, and I remember hearing that the second season wasn't as good as the first season. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Um, but I think it's just because the first season is so good that like it would be tough for any show to to really live up to it. Um, but man, I just that first season, even if you just stop now, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that you watched it because like, the, you know, there I, it's been several years since I've seen it now. But I just remember there being like, like you said, everything is pitch perfect about it, but also like there's a, a profound depth to the show that I was not expecting in the end with like some of the, the revelations and like conclusions that the show draws um, that I, I was just, I found myself really, really impressed by um, the sort of deeper, the, the, the show's ability to go deeper than just the surface gimmick. Um, yeah, it has, it has something to say beyond just being a parody of true crime documentaries. Like it, it actually has... Uh, a message in it, you know, about like um, 
how we perceive people, especially, you know, in a high school setting and, you know, what effects those perceptions can have on our future. And just, and, so, and a lot of, it has a lot of very interesting things to say that I w- definitely wasn't expecting. Yeah. So that's American Vandal. It's streaming on Netflix and uh, yeah, it gets a, a big uh, recommendation from all of us here. So, uh, all right, let's go into what we've been eating. Uh, Brad, you're the only person who really like, you know, goes hard in this category and it uh, looks like you're not going to disappoint us today. So what have you been eating recently? It's, it's true. And I'll be as quick as possible with these so we don't, you know, waste a lot of time for the people who don't care. Of course, you can just turn <laughs> it off too. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, I tried a new uh, Snickers bar. It's a cinnamon bun flavored Snickers. Uh, this is exclusively available at Walmart right now. You can find it like uh, around the registers area. And uh, this was okay. I was hoping for something better because uh, I, I like cinnamon rolls, especially when it comes to the, the cream cheese frosting that typically comes with them. Uh, but the flavor that they have to represent cinnamon bun in this bar, I don't think mixes very well with the Snickers flavor because it's a cinnamon bun flavored nougat, essentially, that is with the traditional peanuts and caramel and chocolate. And I, I feel like this would have fared better with a different candy bar, maybe like a, a Twix or something like that, mm-hmm. um, because I just don't think the, the, the cinnamon flavor meshes well with the with the Snickers. So a little bit disappointing. Uh, wasn't terrible, but it's not something that I would go out of my way to get again, you know, if I, if I saw it um, at the registers. All right, this next thing sounds repulsive to me. Really? <laughs> yes. Okay. So this uh, the next thing I tried is uh, a Reese's Potato Chips Big Cup. So uh, everyone knows Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, um, but they also have like the bigger... Uh, cups that are just larger in size have a lot more peanut butter inside them and lately they've been trying um to and changing up the fillings in them earlier this year uh they did a big cup with uh pretzel pieces inside of it which was actually really good a nice mix of salty and sweet with uh, the chocolate and peanut butter uh and then this one finally arrived it's um with potato chips in it it's it's like crunched up pieces of potato chips mixed in with the peanut butter inside the the chocolate cup itself oh okay i misunderstood i thought this was potato chips that were flavored like Reese's oh. big <laughs> no 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 okay. so yeah, yeah. this is no, no longer repulsive to me. <laughs> yeah so it's potato chip pieces crunched up inside of a reese's big cup um however i will say that uh, this wasn't quite as good as i was hoping because i was expecting something similar to the the pretzels big cup that had a nice uh, savory and sweet flavor but the potato chip flavor really doesn't come through it's mostly just a texture thing that adds crunch to it but i think that both the crunch and the flavor that comes from the pretzels big cup is a lot better so i didn't i didn't i didn't hate the potato chips big cup but again i would get a different Reese's peanut butter cup, you know, probably any day of the week instead of trying the, the potato chips one again. Gotcha. So yeah, um, that's been popping up like around Dollar Tree and Walgreens and stuff like that. So you can keep an eye for that. Um, also in the Reese's peanut butter cup category, it's the the holiday season and all the Christmas candies coming out now. And Reese's has a new uh, peanut brittle flavored peanut butter cup, both in the big cup style and the miniatures that you usually, you know, get a stocking stuffers and whatnot. And uh, this one, the chocolate itself is actually uh, flavored like peanut brittle, like a peanut brittle cream chocolate. And then there's also tiny chunks of peanut brittle inside the cups themselves. And these are very, very good. I, I love these. Uh, the The peanut brittle taste is uh, very prominent. Even the smell when you open up the bag, it, it's right there. And it's a, a, a distinct difference from the rest of the, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups offering. So uh, keep an eye out in the seasonal aisle for that. They're, they should be all over the place wherever you're finding all the the holiday candy right now cool um on the weirder side of the holiday offerings mountain dew has a new flavor called ginger snapped and 
Uh, it's an odd one because I was expecting this to be akin to a ginger ale flavor mixed with Mountain Dew, but it is genuinely a gingerbread flavored soda. Um, it has like a huh. yeah, it's very odd. The smell t- is is just like gingerbread, and the taste is a gingerbread flavor with a like a citrus spike to it. Um, it's very confusing because you don't expect that flavor to be in liquid form. And I didn't dislike it, but I didn't love it. It's a very uh, odd flavor. And my, my taste buds, like, after having sips, like, it got used to it. But I kept thinking, man, this it's weird that I'm not chewing something right now instead of yeah. having uh, a drink in my mouth. So I think it'll probably be one that people either love or they they hate it because it's just it's just not what you totally expect. But uh, that's available in, in cans and bottles and uh, should be popping up around uh, the uh, pop aisles right now. I've seen it pop up online. People have been posting about finding it. So uh, keep an eye out because it should be making your way to, like, Walmart and what whatnot. Okay, so you got one more thing, right? Yes, uh, and this is another holiday offering. Um, every year, Cinnamon, uh, well, not every year, but for the last couple years, Cinnamon Toast Crunch has been releasing Sugar Cookie Toast Crunch, which is uh, an incredible holiday variation on the traditional cereal. Um, has that sugar cookie flavor instead of Cinnamon Toast, uh, and it's delicious. And there's a new one that's added this year for the holidays called Apple Pie Toast Crunch. And this is different from the Apple Cinnamon uh French toast that they uh, French toast crunch that they did a while back, uh, and it's not just the apple cinnamon flavor that you would get like on checks or Cheerios or something like that. This legitimately tastes like an apple pie flavor on cinnamon toast crunch, and um, it is fantastic. The apple flavor pops, and there's like the the flavor also has like that baked element to it too, where it actually tastes like an apple pie in cereal form. I was very impressed by how well they captured the flavor. And then um, if you want to mix it up, and this was suggested by General Mills too, is uh, take apple pie toast crunch and mix it with the uh, relatively new uh, Dulce de Leche toast crunch flavor that is also on shelves right now. And you get like a caramel apple uh, pie toast crunch flavor. That's intriguing. Yeah. So uh, both are really good. The Apple Pie Toast Crunch, uh, you should be able to find it on shelves alongside the Sugar Cookie Toast Crunch. And that's just a holiday offering. So it'll be around for a limited time. So if you see it, make sure you snag it so you can try it. It's it's very good. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about uh, some of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.